Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. All right, Revelation chapter 4, we're going to read the entire chapter this morning, so stay with me. Reading in the New King James Version, your version will bring it out as well. After these things I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for your faithfulness in delivering your word. We can stand in church and read it, we can find encouragement. We can understand your will for our lives. This morning, I want to pray, Lord, that as your word is unfolded, that you would be glorified. Above all else, that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may, why don't you stand during the sermon? No, go ahead and sit. <laughs> What a great chapter. Book of Revelation, it was written during the time of the emperor Domitian. And he was the second Roman Empire after Nero to persecute Christians. Nero was the one who put Paul and Peter to death. And Domitian, he loved the Roman gods. He loved the Roman traditions. And he honored the Roman gods. He honored the Roman traditions. And another 
form of worship that existed in the Roman Empire at that time was the worship of the Roman emperors themselves. In fact, when I was in Asia Minor, one of the cities that we had visited, they had temples. As you, the city was at the lower basin, and as you ascended up a hill, it was a kind of a steep climb. You had temples to the different gods, but the highest temple there was to the Roman emperor. And so no matter where you were in the city, you saw the temple to the Roman emperor, and they were worshipped. They were worshipped as gods. And when Christians got saved, they turned from those forms of worship. They understood it to be idolatry. They understood that God was the only one to be worshipped. They quit worshipping the Roman emperor. They quit worshipping the Roman gods. They quit with the pagan traditions. And pretty much they turned over a new leaf that the Holy Spirit had ignited them and they understood. They understood what it meant to live as a Christian in a fallen world. The last thing they wanted to do was to conform to the world. In fact, the very epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But in doing so, in doing so, it upset the Roman emperors. Nero was a madman, but so was Domitian. In fact, Domitian's name was blotted out. Years later, they looked back on his rule and they looked back on his reign and they blotted him out. That's what the meaning is in the earlier chapters. In chapter 3, I think, where God promises. There's a promise not to blot your name out. You're a citizen of heaven now. You're not a citizen of Rome. And so Domitian was a madman, and he began to instigate persecution, and the two places he implemented persecution the most was in Rome itself and then in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, which is where the seven churches of Revelation were located in which this letter was originally delivered. And one of Domitian's favorite forms or modes of persecution was banishment, was banishment. So he would take Christians and he would just banish them to islands. That's why John is on the island of Patmos when he receives this revelation from God and he begins to pin down what God tells him to, to write the things which you saw. And so the Roman emperor would decree these forms of persecution towards Christians merely for living out their faith, not because they were robbing banks or stores or stealing or cheating, but because they were doing the right thing. They were actually a benefit to any society they lived in because the light of Christ was going forth, and wherever Christians went, they did good works. They helped orphans. They were the first ones really to go out of the city walls and grab abandoned babies, bring them back in and raise them as their own but merely that they wouldn't worship the Roman Empire, merely because they, they wouldn't follow the Roman traditions, the pagan traditions, merely because they wouldn't worship the Roman gods anymore, that these decrees came down, and it was difficult. And the world looked at the throne of the emperor as the almighty throne. He was the God incarnate, sort of speak on this earth. What he said went. When he issued a decree, it stood. So the world looked at the Roman emperor in his throne as being the almighty of the world. 
And it is in this context that we see the book of Revelation delivered, not just for those churches back then, but for us today. But especially for those back then as they were wondering at times, is God really in control? Does He really possess the throne of thrones? Is His throne really the highest? And so in this chapter alone, in this chapter alone, the word throne occurs 14 times in just 11 verses. It clearly is a dominant theme of chapter 4, but not only that, a dominant theme of the entire book of Revelation, for it appears 42 times in the book of Revelation. It's as if God is saying, listen, don't worry about the emperor's throne. Don't, don't be concerned about the emperor's throne. Just live for me day in and day out, no matter what the cost. So God, in telling John to record this, to the grace of God, it now shifts from the earthly scene where Chris did a magnificent job on the seven churches of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, dealing with the church age. It now shifts. It now goes from a heavenly vision. God is going to show him things to write down, not just for the church of that day, but for the church of today, all through history, all through history, God's people has gone through suffering for His glory and for a purpose that sometimes only He knows why. But it certainly is preparing us for eternity. It certainly is preparing us for the afterlife because God has bigger plans for you than just this world. And the cost that we pay today for living out our lives for the Lord is not to be compared to the future glory. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, a time of suffering. And so here we have this marvelous, marvelous, marvelous chapter. The most descriptive chapter in all of, of Scripture of the throne of God. And as we get into this, I've broken it down into several points to help you understand what it is saying here, what it is saying here, what is it saying to us today. And so I may as well give you the answers to the fill in blanks. The first one is the invitation to the throne. Secondly, it's the location of God's throne. Thirdly, the description of God's throne. Fourthly, the action at God's throne. And then I want to talk to you for a few moments just about application. What, is, what does it mean for you and I today? So we go into... The invitation to God's throne as we look in verse 1, it says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, I will show you things which must take place after this. So verse 1 begins with after these things. What things? Well, it's the church ages. Pastor Chris taught on chapters 2 and 3, we believe, is all of church history until the time of the Lord's return, until He comes for His bride. So, so those were, is the age we're living in today. You're actually living in chapter 3 right now. You're actually living in the church age right now. So after these things, after chapters 2 and 3, the church age, and John sees this Door standing open in heaven. There's three doors mentioned in the book of Revelation. 
We have the door of opportunity in chapter 3, verse 8. We have the door of the church in chapter 3, verse 20. And here we have the door of heaven. And with this one, John is summoned to heaven. He gets a glimpse of of heaven and the future events that are going to take place like nobody else has ever lived before. God has revealed to him things that are going to come. He's pulled back the curtain, and he's going to show him things that nobody else has been privileged to see like him before. Many Bible teachers believe that this is a picture of the rapture of the church when this door opens, and all of a sudden John is caught up into heaven, that it is a type or a picture of the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is an event that's going to take place sometime in history. We don't know exactly when, but it is when Jesus Christ will descend from heaven, not put his feet back on planet earth or the Mount of Olives like he will do at the second coming, but he's going to catch his church up in the air. Those who are dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who remain and are still alive will be caught up with him to be with the Lord forevermore. Aren't you looking forward to that day? I am, absolutely. Lord, come quickly. And there's three reasons, really, that this, well, there's several reasons, but three primary reasons why people see this as a picture of the church. First of all, after chapters 2 and 3, you never see the word church again in the Scriptures until chapter 22, the close of the book in verse 16. Now, you do see the word saints in heaven. You see saints on earth, but the saints on earth are the ones that we believe are getting saved during the tribulation period. That at the same time, God is pouring out His wrath on this world, bringing judgment to this world. At the same time, there's mercy and grace being poured out. So in chapters 2 and 3, we see the church mentioned frequently, but after that, the church is not mentioned until chapter 22, verse 16. Secondly, the church is not appointed to wrath. In chapters 6 through 19, when the tribulation period is taking place, it is a time of God's wrath, like I said, being poured out. And if you're a believer today, if you're a believer today, you have not been appointed to wrath. You've not been appointed to wrath. I like Ephesians chapter 2, where it says that we were once objects of wrath. We were once objects of God's wrath. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I've got good news for you today. If you commit your life to Him, you will escape the wrath of God. Thirdly, the end of verse 1 says, I will show you things which must take place after this. So we believe that these are future events that are coming up as the, the throne room of heaven is seen as we see the Lamb taking the scroll in chapter 5, which is the title deed of planet Earth, and as we see God's judgments being poured out, as we see the great white throne judgment in chapter 20, as we see the new heavenly eternal estate in chapters 21 and 22. And so really a lot of this book is dealing with the future, but it has principles for you and me today. I don't know about you, but there's not a day I go by where I don't think about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's not a day that goes by where I don't 
have hope in my heart because of what the Scriptures have declared concerning the return of Jesus Christ, concerning righting every wrong, concerning coming for His bride that suffers sometimes over so much persecution in this world, and sometimes it doesn't even make sense to me, but only in the mind of God. But I understand the truth of Scripture, and I understand the promises of Scripture, and I stand on those promises today, and you need to stand on those promises today. Amen? Now notice the location of God's throne. John says he sees a throne set in heaven. He sees this throne that is in heaven. Now there were three other major visions of heaven. We know that Isaiah the prophet had a vision of heaven in chapter 6. If you read that later on, you'll see where Isaiah was caught up to heaven. And that, that Isaiah had this incredible view of the glory of God to where he said, whoa, I am a man of unclean lips. And everybody around me has unclean lips. Their very words in the holiness of God are filthy. And so he has this vision in chapter 6. Ezekiel has a vision of the throne room of heaven, which is similar to this too. And, and that is primarily seen in chapter 1. You can read those those passages of Scripture later. You can read Isaiah chapter 6, Ezekiel chapter 1, and you can see their vision of this throne room of heaven. The Apostle Paul also had a vision. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he wrote that he was caught up to the third heaven, and he heard inexpressible things that he was not permitted to tell. You know, when I look at the visions in Scripture that God's people had of like the throne. I'm like amazed because it's interesting that people today everywhere are saying they had a vision of heaven. That they've died, they've gone to heaven and they come back and they, they've lived to tell about it. That the Lord all of a sudden said, it's not your time yet, I want you to go back and I want you to tell people what you saw in heaven. And so they come up with stuff and stories, and I don't want to be the judge of that, but the visions that I see in the book of Revelation, the visions I see in Isaiah, the vision I see in Ezekiel, they are so different than these fluffy visions that people see in heaven. Everybody got excited about the movie, Heaven is for Real. And I went and saw it, and it was a movie produced after the best-selling book, Heaven is for Real. And it was about a six-year-old kid who, who was in a coma for six months. He was in a car accident, goes into this coma, and when he comes out of the coma, he tells his story of how he went to heaven and what he saw in heaven. And he gets very descriptive with it. His father writes the book. He journals and chronicles his journey into heaven. But then, not long ago, he comes out as a grown-up, and he says he never had the vision. He said he never had the vision. He said that, in fact, the publishers, they went ahead and they pulled all the books off the bookshelves, Tyndale Publishers. They just removed every book because he comes out openly and he recants this vision. And here's what he said. He said, I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. And you know what? There are so many people that read 
books of visions of heaven and about heaven, they don't read the Bible itself. And the Bible gets very descriptive. If you want a descriptive understanding of what heaven is and what God's throne looks like, read the Bible. Don't take anybody's word for it. Like I said, I don't want to judge that. But so many of these visions are so different than what God records in His Word. Paul was forbidden to write down what he saw in heaven. And John's permitted to write down what he saw in heaven. And this incredible scene of of heaven, and it says that not only is God's throne in heaven, but it is set in heaven. It is set in heaven that it is permanent. It is in contrast of every ruler of this world. It is in direct opposition of every ruler of this world because every ruler's throne is temporary. It is never set. God's throne is the highest throne in heaven, and He's worthy of worship for that. It is the highest throne. It is the throne that carries the most authority. It is set in heaven. It is set in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar in all of his glory in the kingdom of Babylon, his throne is gone. Alexander the Great, when he conquered all those lands and territories and conquered what people said was the known world at that time, and he dies at the age of 33 or something, that his throne is no more. His throne is no more. But God's is permanent. God's is immovable. It is unshakable. I'm glad I serve the living God who will never be demoted and can't be promoted. Because He is it. He is it. He's the highest. There is no one who has higher authority than the Lord. And God asks us to receive this in faith. That's why Christians are being persecuted right now. The whole reason why they're being slaughtered is because they will not bow to any other authority. They realize that God's throne is the highest throne and He is the ultimate authority and every Christian needs to buy into that. You have to buy into that. Notice the description of God's throne. And as we move into the description of God's throne, the best way to organize it, if you're taking notes, is on the throne, around the throne, from the throne, before the throne, and in the midst of and around the throne. Does that make sense to you? (laughs) It will. (laughs) First of all, let's look at on the throne. Verse 2. Immediately I was in the Spirit. John was caught up in the Spirit, not bodily. He was caught up in the Spirit when he was given this vision. And behold, the throne sat in heaven and one sat on the throne. One sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So the first thing we see is one who sits on the throne. And that's the first thing that comes to John's attention about the throne. It is God's glory. God's glory overshadows everything else. When John is caught up into heaven, all he sees is the glory of God. And he describes God with precious stones because John has to use vocabulary that is only in his vocabulary capacity. I mean, how does a kindergartner describe Niagara Falls? How does a kindergartner describe Yosemite Park? How does a kindergartner describe the crashing waves on Coronado Island? 
I mean, they've got to be limited to their vocabulary. And so here's John. He's describing a vision of God, and he describes God with precious stones. He describes him as a jasper. This was a clear, crystal-like stone, which would be equivalent to our diamond today. In fact, we would probably call it a diamond today. It was clear, and it was crystal, and it had faucets. It radiated the light. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.